I do this, what is this sign? Touchdown. This one, I surrender. Worship. Rocky. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> carrying a box. Carrying a horse. <laughs> carrying a microwave. Asking for more M&Ms. All signs that seem like they could just be normal everyday signs, whether it's at sports or around a table or on the street or what have you. But also, as we know, often signs of worship. And if you think this isn't a sign of worship, all you need to do is close your eyes and bow your head, and it looks worshipful, doesn't it? Today's all about worship. In fact, you could say everything's all about worship. Our lives are all about worship. Hands raised in worship is a beautiful both sign of victory and surrender. Victory for the ultimate price has been paid. Christ is victorious, and we celebrate and rejoice with him in that. And a surrender to say, I will love and serve you in response. It's all about worship today. Our lives are all about worship In fact, every person you have ever met worships someone or something. Yes, even that atheist or agnostic you're thinking about right now that you have been praying for, even that person worships someone or something. You see, what we worship, we worship what we give our fullest attention to. That thing that all of our passionate passion goes into, our finances go into, our thoughts go into, the thing we desire to tell everyone else about. Some in our world worship the pursuit of knowledge. They have a hunger to understand things and they want to know more and more. Many worship sports teams. You've seen the extreme fandom that can take hold of us. Some of us worship just experiences. We want the next emotional hit. Or we worship celebrities where we just, we love to live through others and we read all the news and the gossip and the breakups and the marriages and all that stuff. Or perhaps some of us worship the numbers in our bank account or the newest and shiniest toy or car. We all worship someone or something. But the ultimate question is, are we worshiping the right one in the right way? I'm here to say today that there is one and one only, one alone who is worthy of all of our worship. It's not the lions. Certainly not my bank account. There is one true God, and he is worthy of all all praise, honor, and glory, now and forevermore. If what we worship is what we value and treasure most in this world, you simply cannot put a price on God's worth. His worth is infinite. And so true worship of the one true God is to value and treasure God above all things. 
The series we begin today is called Worship Full. For we are longing to worship God to the absolute fullest. And not just that, but to also live a life that is full of worship. Why does this series matter? I want to tell you why this series matters from the get-go. Because we are at our best when we are doing what we were created for. A hammer is at its best when it's a hammer. It doesn't make a great decoration, I don't think, or a corkscrew. This, uh, this little pocket knife, little Swiss Army knife, this would make a terrible hammer, right? But it's pretty good at cutting small things. It works really well when it does what it was made for. We are at our best when we were worshipped, for we were created to worship God. What my prayer is that you will get out of this series is that we will collectively have a better understanding and a love of worship and then give t- we're going to give you some tangible tools on how we can live it out more fully every single day of our lives. The stakes on if we get this wrong, the reality is we're all prone to wander. Our natural inclination is toward selfishness. If we get this wrong, we will drift further and further away from God, have a distanced relationship with him, a distorted view of who he is and who we are, and we'll miss out on living into the God-given purpose to which he has called each of us. So that's why we're doing this series on Worshipful. Next week, you're going to hear about the secret sauce of true worship. And yes, that sounds very clickbaity, I know. But we will discuss a crucial core piece of worship that we oftentimes miss. So you'll want to come back for that. The week after, we'll talk about worship that's authentic and accurate. What it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And then on week four, we'll talk about specifically how do we live this out. How do we live a life of worship? But today is the what and the why of true worship. What is worship? It is to proclaim and acknowledge the worth someone or something deserves. So true worship, then, is to acknowledge all God is and all we are not. To place him at the very top. He is the highest thing we value in all of creation. There is none greater. There is none better. We worship to bring glory to God. Hear the word of the Lord from Revelations chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being that same god is so worthy of our worship that in our current state we could not even look upon him for we would be destroyed by his pure goodness Do you remember in Exodus 33, Moses' request of the Lord? Moses asked God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God responds by saying, he will let all of his goodness pass in front of him. 
And God, he says, I'm merciful, I'm compassionate, but none can look upon me and live. That's how good he is. So what does he do? He places Moses like behind a rock that has like a little crack in it. And, and he tells him, just wait, just wait until I say. And all his goodness passes in. And as he passes, he says, okay, look at, the, at me as I went, at the presence of me as I left. That you can tolerate, but to look upon God, he is so good, you cannot look upon him, for we would not live. Moses asked, show me your glory, and he said, I cannot. So I'm always leery of songs. I keep asking God to show us your glory. <laughs> Do we know what we're asking? Whew. It's a good Babylon B article about that. God is the focus of worship. He alone is the audience of worship. He is the recipient and the object of worship. If you're here with us and not worshiping online, this space that we in, this beautiful church invites us into that heavenward posture. We have these beautiful high ceilings that draw our attention towards heaven. We have this amazing cross that is dead front and center to remind us of the centrality of the cross and the good news of Jesus in our lives. We're surrounded by these stained glass windows that tell the good news of Jesus and reminds us of his promises and the gifts that we have in and with him. We have his word always in front of us and before us. For these are not my words I seek to bring, but God's words I seek to bring. All of this intended to help draw our attention back to Christ, to recenter Christ back to the center of our lives. Even how we seek to design our Sunday morning worship uh, experience to worship God, uh, there's a flow to it where we have the approach to the word of God, where we receive and hear and reflect upon the word of God, and then we respond to the word of God. All of it to keep his word the central focus, which gives us a pattern to follow the rest of our week. Because worship, what we're doing here this Sunday morning, this is a set-apart act. It is set apart. As Sunday morning, we gather together to practice this holy set-apart act. Think about your lives for a minute. Most important moments in life are set apart. For instance, uh, <laughs> you don't, you know, you're not just going to watch TV and then on the commercial break hold your wedding ceremony, right? And then get back to TV. That's not going to happen. You set it apart. You don't have a very intentional, important conversation with your family uh, at, at, while you're in line at the grocery store. You set it apart. Some of you have your children uh, when you don't expect to because... Miracles come in unexpected ways, but most of the time you plan and you have this thing where it's set apart. God's people gathering together, what we're doing right here and now is a foundational assumption of the Christian faith. Jesus gives us this model. He lived in community his entire ministry. His disciples followed that model, and they have throughout the years all the way to now. 
In fact, Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. We're created to worship, and we are created to worship God together. So we give worship this carved out, this set apart, this intentional time because God is worth nothing less and he deserves so much more. And so we gather and we pause the rest of our happenings to focus again on what really matters. And in this set apart holy act, we acknowledge that worship glorifies God. In this self-centered life, we regularly and weekly pause to gather together and proclaim, life is not all about us, but about the one who gives us life. In this set-apart and holy act, we recenter our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our compass is recalibrated to true north so that we might journey in the proper direction once again. See, the natural direction of our lives— is not oriented towards God. Perhaps before the fall, yes. But our natural inclination in life is to drift away from God and always back towards ourselves. We live in Michigan, so you've been to the beach. If you haven't, what's wrong with you? <laughs> can I say that? I, I actually don't love the beach much. Meg will tell you that. I like a pool where you can regulate temperature and environments. Uh, <laughs> But imagine you're at Lake Michigan, you're at the beach, and, and you tell your family, I'm going for a swim, and you get in the water, and you see your family there, they're, they're straight out from you, right? And they're right there, and, uh, and, and you just kind of start to enjoy the water, and it seems pretty calm, and you're just kind of hanging out, you're looking back at the coast, right? You're looking back at the coast, and boy, it is beautiful, it is beautiful. I, I should tell my family all about this, and you look, and you go, no, that looks like Don and Nancy, that doesn't look like my family. Where'd they go? And you look all the way down the shore, and there they are. You know what happens? You drifted. You drift. You drift. You don't mean to drift. You just drift. Unless you keep your eyes on what you're focused on, and you are intentional to stop the drift. That is the only way. That's what we do here on Sundays. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. We realign, we recalibrate so that when we drift from Sunday to Sunday, it is easy to find our way back home. And we take those steps back and maybe we drift a little bit more and then we're recalibrated back again. That's why we say that, that worship, it not only glorifies God, which is the intent and purpose of worship, but it is also edifying to believers. Edifying. We don't use that word a whole lot these days. It essentially means what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that worship builds up the church. It fortifies, like making a fortress stronger and keeping it safeguarded. It fortifies the body of Christ. It reinforces, strengthens, and keeps us on path together. You see, this thing we do, this communal act of worship, this is where the we of worship helps the me of worship. 
we gather to worship together. As we said, to encourage one another. There are those moments in your life where things don't always go well, and yet you still come to church and you find encouragement. You find remember, reminders of God's goodness and his peace and his grace that is for you and present in no matter what circumstance you're going through. There are those deepest and darkest moments that life that we sometimes come through where it is hard for us to hold on to our own faith. It is hard to trust. It is hard to read God's promises and actually feel them in that moment. And yet you have a community of faith that says, we understand you can't feel that now. We will hold it for you and pray on your behalf for you. Maybe you're in that space right now. But you are here and we will help the me of your faith walk. I believe that's partially why Jesus taught us to pray, not my Father, but our Father. This is a communal faith. Together, we are strengthened. Together, we are stopping the drift. Together, we are keeping our eyes on the cross and on Jesus and helping each other see it even when we can not. And what else is worship? But our inheritance. This is our heritage. This beautiful thing we do, we read words that were written thousands of years ago, and it still speaks to us today. We sing some songs from the 1500s, some from the 1800s, some from the 80s and the 90s, and some that were even written this year. We say prayers that we said as children, and then we teach our children those same prayers while also learning new ones. We add our voice to this growing and beautiful, ancient and modern heritage to which we belong. There's profound beauty that when we say the Apostles' Creed, we say the very words that have been said for hundreds and hundreds of years of what we believe. When we read about Jesus walking upon those seas, we can believe that our great, 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 great grandpa had the opportunity to hear that very same passage. Perhaps with some different language, but the heart of it, the same. Worship marks us and molds us and shapes us and defines us as children of the one true God a heritage that is sustained by the Spirit. And it shows us that we're just one voice in the multitudes giving God his glory. We're one voice adding in with all of creation. We gather on Sunday morning with Christians all around the world, some hidden in basements, some on a mountain top, some in an enormous church, and some in a living room some right now at home in their PJs and their coffee, and others in the finest three-piece suit you ever did see, all gathering together to worship the one true God. That is our heritage. That is our family to which we belong as we join in with all of heaven and all those who have gone before and all those who will come after us for the sole purpose to worship the risen Christ. So worship, our heritage, Worship, it builds us up. Worship, it brings glory to God. And yes, worship is a singular, set-apart act we return to time and time again. 
But it's not just set apart. There's more to it. When you read the Old Testament, you know that in worship, there were worship included sacrifice. Often animal sacrifice. This was a part of making things right between man and God, uh, was these ritualistic animal sacrifices that God had set up and made. And then Jesus came, the Lamb of the world, the one who was perfect, without sin, became our ultimate sacrifice. Now, our sacrifice, in response, our offering is to be like Jesus, who offered his full self. So in worship, we come to offer our full selves. See, worship, it's not just a set-apart act. This passage is kind of our marching passage for this series. You likely know it. This was my youth group memory verse, theme verse for all my youth group experience growing up. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Worship is a set-apart act, and it is also a way of life that sets us apart. Paul wrote Romans. He urges us in this. It says, I urge you. In the Greek, more accurately, it's he beseeches us. I beseech you. Have you ever beseeched anyone before? <laughs> Imagine, I, I want you to try it the next time you have something, uh, maybe something more novel to ask someone. So maybe for me, it would be like, uh, hey, I beseech you to watch The Lord of the Rings. They might think a little bit harder about it, right? Oh, he brought out the beseech. Beseech, what is beseech? A strong and fervent begging type of ask. You could translate it to beg. Paul is begging, beseeching these people and us to offer our very lives as a sacrifice to God. Not just a set-apart act, but a living, ongoing sacrifice. He urges us to do so in response to what? To God's incredible mercy. In view of that mercy, in response to that very good news we read and we believe and we proclaim. It is not just a one-and-done act like the old sacrifices of the day. It's a living, ongoing act that we get invited into every moment of our lives. He beseeches us to remind us that this is our natural response to the good news of God, to worship. The first time you heard and understood the good news of Christ, your first response was one of worship. Over and over again in Scripture, we see as people encounter God, they fall to their knees. They make themselves less and they raise God up to say, I'm not worthy, you are. They worship. He's so worthy. 
He is so worthy. And we're not. There's an infinite gap between us. A gap that he filled, that he removed, only by the grace of Jesus. And so worship is not just something we do. It's our natural response to all God has done for us. It is indeed how we are called to live. To live a set-apart life, one that is holy and pleasing to God, a life that is a living act of worship, not one that mimics or mirrors that of the world around us, which is always drifting back towards ourself, right? If everyone worships someone or something, many of us uh, worship ourselves. Selfishness. There's idols aplenty, but ultimately it comes down to doing what I want to do because I want to do it. We are the center of our lives and the focus. But we are called to live a set-apart life. Put God at the center, trusting that he will transform us more into Christ-likeness as we regularly return to worship him, our thoughts back to him, and we receive his words, his good news, and our mind starts to believe these truths, and it forms our thoughts, and it forms our lives, and we are recalibrated again and again, and as we only can through worship. In this life, us Christians ought to stand out, for we carry with us the very best news of all time. I was convicted during my sabbatical that perhaps I'm too good at blending into the crowds. Y'all know I'm a pastor. People at Meyer know I'm a pastor. At the ball fields, do they know I'm a pastor? They might know I'm a nice guy. Do they know I'm a pastor? Do they know I give my life to this? I hope so. But to keep that in check, I brought out, it might be cheesy, my little WWJD bracelet. I got like 12 of them for five bucks on Amazon. I got some. If you want them, come find me. They're in my office. This was a marker in my formation as a youngin in the 90s that I belonged, and now it, it, it became a huge fad, right? It's out of, it's not a fad anymore. And so I put it on as a reminder to me, remember who you are, who you came from, and remember everywhere you go, you represent Christ to those around you. And so that's one way to remind myself, not to let this do the talking for me, but this to remind me to talk when the Spirit says talk. Because otherwise, I can blend in and I can drift. Worship on Sunday. This is to inspire and instruct our all-of-life worship Monday through Saturday. In marriage, you have to daily show your love and appreciation. And you also have to have set specific time apart to celebrate the big things. You set time apart for date nights and to celebrate anniversary and to have those important talks. But you also have the beauty of the mundane where you show your love and appreciation at four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Without one or the other, it's incomplete. There's nothing more important to our lives than worship. To worship the one true God. And there's nothing more life-giving on this side of eternity than to worship. For when we worship, we get a glimpse 
a glimpse of heaven where we join in for all of time worshiping the one alone who is worthy. This is our purpose. This is why we exist, to worship God and bring him glory and to enjoy relationship with him now and forevermore. Indeed, that's what we have the honor and the privilege to celebrate around this table. God's grace made available to us here on this side of heaven. We remember the beauty of Jesus walking on this earth with his disciples, of teaching them what it means to worship, what it means to draw our attention back to him. As he gathered around this table with sinners and friends alike, and he said, this, what I'm about to do, is for you. And as he did this, Jesus knew we would be doing the very same thing throughout all ages, for this is our heritage. This is our shared meal. We remember on that night, Jesus, he took the bread after giving thanks. He broke it. said, this here is my body. This is broken for you. I did this all because I love you. Because I want to be around a table with you for the rest of all time. In union with you. As often as you take this and eat it, do so in remembrance of me. The table meal is a sign and a foretaste. We remember, we look back at what Jesus did, and we look ahead to see where we are going for what he accomplished. For that same night, he also, after they ate, after giving thanks, he took the cup. So this cup represents my blood that is poured out for you. He poured it all out. He emptied himself completely so that we might be filled. Often as you drink it, remember me. Why do we worship? Because though we were dead to sin, Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf and died the death we deserve so that we might live now and forevermore. This is what this table symbolizes. This is why we are called to worship throughout our entire lives, because the victory is secured. All Jesus asks is that we simply surrender. Say, God, I love you. I believe you. I want to follow you. Forgive me. And so we are invited to take and eat and remember and to be transformed again, to step forward in faith, to worship him with our whole lives. I'll give instructions on how we're going to go about this in a moment. But for now, why don't we bow our heads? Let us pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for this meal. For the mystery of it, Lord. The wonder we get to return to again and again as we come before this feast. At the wonder that you would do what you did for us. You humble us, Lord. 
As we prepare to feast at this table, Lord, we first acknowledge all that you are. You are so good, Lord. You did all this out of love for us, us who are sinful by our very nature, us whose inclination is to not choose you, but to choose ourselves time and time again. Forgive us, Lord. We ask it now with all our hearts, Lord. Forgive us for the ways we have fallen short. And yet, Lord, at this table, we are reminded of your powerful promise that you do indeed forgive. You have made a way. And so our response is one of gratitude, Lord. Our response is to return back again to worship you and say, thank you. You are good. As we celebrate this set-apart act, we acknowledge that you have set us apart, Lord. So as we take this, we live in response to this good news, to share this good news with all around us. We thank you for this feast, Lord, for all you've done, all you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.